Hey guys, and welcome back to Unscalable. Today's show is sponsored by my company, StoryPrompt. StoryPrompt helps you boost customer loyalty and engagement using asynchronous video. Capturing stories, testimonials, and attention is as simple as sharing a link. Use the link in the show notes to get 20% off or go to storyprompt.com. So in case you're new to the podcast, uh, you probably don't know who Martine is. Uh, Martine is my wife, uh, and she was also a co-host in the early episodes of Unscalable. And she's joining us today to discuss a new project she's been working on. So she spent the last six months or so writing a children's book. Today, she's going to be taking us through her process from taking a book from idea all the way to getting it published uh, on the likes of Amazon and getting it into bookstores. So, uh, Martine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you're a mom, you're helping me build story prompts, and you start up from the ground up. I'm just curious, what inspired you to write a children's book in the first place? Well, um, for me, it it kind of had nothing really to do with working together and sendable, you know, and story prompt and that type of thing. It's just, I kind of feel that sometimes in life we go through things that we might not even realize at the time that can actually help people. And I think it's only when you actually stand back and reflect on things that and speak to people that you realize that your experience can actually help someone else. And that's exactly what I went through. And that's what led me to to create this book. So maybe for listeners who haven't seen the book, which most of them haven't, what's what's the main um, sort of message, message that you're trying to give across in the story? Okay, well, let me go back a little bit. So basically what happened with, with me in my life. So um, in 2020, we were in lockdown, obviously a bit and everything. Now, um, I mean, you obviously know the story being my husband, but basically, uh, so Gavin and I moved from South Africa. Our families were in South Africa and we were based in the UK. So we were really far. And I think lockdown and COVID made people feel a lot further. Suddenly we couldn't just go. It wasn't overnight to see our families. So anyway, we got through the year and it was amazing. And like we all reached December and I remember even saying to you, we, we've nailed it. We, you know, this was a challenging year. We've done it. We managed homeschooling, working from home, have, you know, uh, transforming Sendable into a remote company. We, we, we nailed it. And then basically I got a phone call to say that my mom had started coughing. Didn't think anything of it. You know, I remember talking to her and her saying, oh, I must wash my vegetables when I do any grocery shopping. And I used to say to her, you know what? You be as neurotic as you want. We're fine, whatever. But please be as neurotic as you want. So there she was, ironically, washing her, you know, bags and vegetables and deliveries and everything. And me laughing behind her back. But at least she was looking after herself. So anyway, she started coughing right around her birthday, her 69th birthday. And... Basically, what happened was the next day she she was unfortunately asthmatic and the next day she went into hospital because her sats weren't great and the doctor was a bit concerned. And even at the time we were like, it's fine, you know, you're being, you know, you're in the right place, you're with the doctors, they'll keep an eye on you. Now, granted, this was, I won't say the beginning of COVID, but it was the beginning of a new wave, especially in South Africa. My dad also had COVID at the time, but thankfully he was able to stay home. So she went into hospital and the whole time, you know, we had such an amazing relationship. She had an, she was incredibly close to you and I. She was incredibly close to our children, her friends. You know, she had an amazing support system, very, very well-loved uh, member of the community in South Africa and, you know, in our lives. So, um, 
she she kind of carried on the same the same optimism, the same sense of humor, everything. She was sending me videos and photos of the cardboard she 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 said that she was eating in the hospitals. You know, the same banter, this everything was the same. Just unfortunately, she was in hospital, but it didn't let, let, her spirits never never um dropped at all. So so we were chatting all the time and then suddenly we got a message to say she needed to spend more time on her stomach. So then messages slowed down a bit. Then she was moved to high dependency and was on a, a fast flow, I think it was called. Messages dwindled a little bit that way. And slowly, 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 this person who was so much in my life, every minute of every day, I used to call her in traffic just to talk about nonsense. Or I would call her because the kids had some silly thing they wanted to say. You know, this person started unfortunately vanishing from my life. Like, I, I, you know, I didn't kind of know which way to turn. I was just so used to her being there for me and, and sharing things and her being involved in our lives, especially in lockdown, she was, despite the, the distance. So then, unfortunately, she was moved into the ICU and they had to put on a ventilator. And suddenly I went from this person who I spoke to every minute of every day, even in hospital, to suddenly nothing, just no communication whatsoever. And for me, it just was everything was all wrong. Not only should I have been there, I hadn't seen her since December 2019. I should have been there with her. I wasn't. I couldn't even speak to her. I was stuck in the UK. She was in South Africa. I couldn't get on a plane. Everything just wasn't right. As I said, a well-loved member of the community should have been surrounded by people. She was on her own. It just it wasn't right. Nothing was right. Um, and then, unfortunately, so basically three weeks after she started coughing, we got a message to say that she had passed away all on her own. I mean, this is like, if I had to think to myself, what I would never, ever wish on anybody it's this because mm. it was just so, like, messed up, basically. Like, I even remember saying to you, like, this is not the way it ha this is can't be the, the, the right way. This can't be the way it happens. It just wasn't right. Like, this person was so crucial in my life. This just wasn't right. And obviously my brothers, I have two brothers also, they weren't with her. My dad wasn't with her. The best friends, no one. So, um, so basically... It was like this, uh, you know, it's kind of, how do I explain this? Basically, the Jewish religion allows you to have seven days where you sit shiva and you just think about things. Um, I was so grateful for that. I never realized the importance of that. But I was actually able to, as much as I wasn't able to go, I mean, I wasn't even at her funeral, which is ma madness, really. But I was able to kind of spend that time grieving and you know we were moving house at the time which is I mean this is what I'm saying like I couldn't make the stuff up like and selling sendable at the time so um it kind of gave me this week to kind of focus just on what I was feeling and everything and it, it, it took me about a year to kind of really come to terms with what had happened with the shock of not being there with the shock of what was um, you know, how my heart was ripped out of my body, basically, and ripped into a million pieces to, and not being able to go. I only went a year later, um, which was is a story in its own, because I assumed I'd be able to have her smell and her clothes and everything was gone. You know, I just mm -hmm. missed that whole time. So um, basically, it, it gave me that time to kind of focus. And a year later, it's still kind of raw. And, and that's kind of the reason that this book came about, because the book, let me 
uh, a backstory here. The book's called A Little Piece Inside Me is Missing. It's a children's book. And the reason I wrote it is because even as an adult, people would say to me, how are you? How are things? How are you finding things? And I'd say, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, you have to get on with it. You owe it to your family. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the person more than anything. The most selfless person in the world would not want me using up my time and energy thinking about her when I've got people and a, a business and kids, you know, family and friends and, you know, my own mental health. She wouldn't want me consuming my time thinking about her and and, and not coping. So that's the thing. You, you, you get on with it. You have to. You owe it to them. And you owe it to yourself and your family, as I said. So that's the thing. So I, I would say to people, you know, I'm okay. But the thing is, there was always just this little piece of me that will never be the same. It will always be missing. And the thing is, is that even if somebody said to me, I'll give you a magic pill to make that little piece not, not hurt anymore, not, not, not um, remind you of the person, make you feel better, I would never, ever, ever take that. Because the thing is, what this little piece represents to me is the fact that this piece is missing means that I loved and I was loved. And for me, that why would I want to fill that? Why would I want to forget that? Like people say it, grief gets easy as you get on, as you get, you know, as it goes by. I don't believe that at all. I just think you learn to deal. You learn to get on with it. How can this piece of inside me vanish? How can it just go away and I forget? If I had to forget that I was loved and had this relationship with my mom, I would never forgive myself. Like I always want this piece of me missing to remember how much she meant to me and how much, our, how real our relationship was. And so basically that's how I came up with the story for the book, but I wanted to adapt it to make kids feel okay about this process. Like when a child loses somebody close to them, it's, it's very different than when an adult does. But the thing is for a child is it's the same kind of process of there's this little piece missing, but there's ways that you can make that piece not hurt as much. And you can make yourself feel better by remembering the person and by talking about them and never forgetting them and never it never being a taboo subject. In our house, so obviously, so I've got, well, we've got two daughters. So one was very little at the time. She was only two. Very matter of fact, she, she didn't really understand, unfortunately. But we had an, an older one who's 10 now. She was um, eight at the time. And she was absolutely torn apart by this because of her amazing relationship she had with my mom. And, you know, when I read her, this was when we discussed the story together, it kind of opened things up for her because she didn't recognize that she had that feeling. And once we were able to talk about it, she realized that that's actually what she was feeling. She just didn't know how to articulate it. And because of that, we, as I said, we talk about things like we, we still, you know, my mom, because she was so like, she had a great sense of humor and she was, she didn't mind us mocking her. So we still do that. We don't suddenly feel like we can't say those things that made us laugh at the time, because that's the right way of respecting her. And that's the way that you can make this, this whole not hurt. You can, you can fill it with these funny things, these mm. amazing memories, these great experiences that make you not miss the person, yes, but also treasure the time you had with them. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, that has. <laughs> Sorry, but lengthy. Um, yeah, so obviously it, was, it came about as a result of your mom being unwell and the sudden yeah. loss. Um, so if you were to just explain, like, where did the idea for the book actually come from? Like, obviously this, this thing happened. 
-hmm. you had these issues you were dealing with. Obviously, our daughter was also dealing with it. We were all dealing with it. What what led you to decide to sit down and come up with the idea and start writing the book? Was it like was it a couple of years later? Was it straight after it happened? Where did you get this idea? So it definitely wasn't straight after because it took me a while to process it and it took me a while to kind of put my feelings into words and to kind of almost recognize how I was feeling and articulate it. So it was um, about coming up to two years after it happened. And I've always loved writing. I, I wrote a blog about um, called Scarred for Life when our daughter was at, um, when she had multiple life-saving surgeries. I kind of documented the journey also, not as it happened but later on. Um, so I've always, I've always enjoyed writing. I've always found it an amazing outlet. So I didn't kind of think too much of it. I just kind of wanted to get something down and then I wanted to see what would come from it. And then when I, when I kind of wrote it down and I thought, actually, hang on, this could actually help people. This could actually help kids. So what I did was I sent it off to um, a psychotherapist and a grief counseling um, charity to see if they, would they if they endorsed it if they actually thought it was useful so because the thing is is that it's just my perspective like I'm not a therapist I'm just somebody I'm just a mother who's who's gone through this and a daughter who's gone through this so I don't know if my theories are correct um but they actually were very supportive of it and they 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 thought it was a nice analogy that would actually help children so yeah I'd say about a yeah close to two years later but I mean as I said the same thing happened with with the blog, I feel like when these things happen, you kind of go into autopilot and you just get on with it and you focus. And then only afterwards can you start unpacking things and thinking, actually, I was actually quite strong. I was stronger than I thought I would be. Because mm. I think when, you know, with these types of things, it's easy to say, oh, I would never cope with that. And I would have said the same thing. How on earth would I have coped with losing my mom? She was so important in my life. How I would never cope with that. But mm. somehow I did, and I don't understand how I did. But if I did, then maybe I can help other people too. So you mentioned that writing for you is like an outlet. Yeah. Um, so how therapeutic was the act of writing this book for you? Like, did you find it helpful? Would you would you recommend writing to other people who go through a loss? How helpful was it? Definitely, very, very helpful. Um, as I said, because it was, it's not always easy to articulate how you feel, and um, it was very, very helpful for me because I was able to put my feelings that I, that I, as I say, as I, that I couldn't articulate into words and be like, ah, that's it. That makes sense. That, you know, and the same mm -hmm. thing with my daughter. She couldn't articulate how she felt, but it was like, oh, wow, I feel that way too. So I would always recommend people to, to write, even if you do nothing with it, even if it's just for yourself, even if it's a blog or something like that, or, or just on the back of your, you know, notebook just for yourself. It's very, very, very therapeutic. It allows you to just reflect and, um, you know, and, and kind of get some insight into, into what you're going through. Sometimes you can also write and then feel like you're reading something as another person. You know, if you kind of wait a week mm. or so and you look at it and think, if I was reviewing this, what would I get from it? Or, or what would I change? Or what, you know, how, would, how is this person feeling? And then you think, actually, that's useful to me if I apply yeah. it to my own life. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure listeners will be keen to hear about your process. But, um, uh, before we get there, just keen to ask you just about the actual story itself. So the, the the plot of the story. Could you give a brief summary of the characters, the plot, just maybe at a high level, uh, kind of what it's about and how it is therapeutic for readers? 
Okay, sure. I mean, it's only a 32-page children's book, so there's not that much in the, in the plot. So I might, there might be a few spoilers. But basically, it's just this um, conversation, really, so, uh, between a mother and a daughter. To, and the, the daughter's at school, and I'm sure everybody can. I remember going through this with a grandparent, that awful time, knock at the door when you see a familiar face at the door that you've, they've come to collect you from school. So I purposely didn't give the child a name because I want anyone to be able to identify with her. And there's no first names or anything. So this mother picks up her daughter from school, takes her, um, you know, takes her home. And as they're walking home, they're having this conversation. And the mother says to her that her, her grandmother, her grandmother has died. And um, the child starts remembering all the things. So she remembers like the phone calls they used to have where she would go on and on and on about nothing, but the grandmother would listen. And she remembers like sitting on a bench, eating sandwiches with the grandmother and the grand, they were probably revolting, but the grandmother didn't want to hurt her feelings and tell her that. So, um, so it's just this conversation. And then the child says to the mother, like, I- I'm happy that she's not sick anymore, but I feel different. And then, she said, it feels like this piece inside me is missing. And the, and the fact is the child is saying, this is sort of what it feels like when the mother goes, ah, I know exactly what it feels like. Because obviously the mother could potentially have lost someone close to her too in her past. So the mother recognizes this feeling. And through their conversation, she's able to help the child articulate her feeling, but also with, um, give her these ideas of ways she can make herself feel better and, and, and smile again. And, and, not not necessarily she doesn't want her necessarily to be happy that's not the point of the story but it's this journey of getting better and getting over it and coming to terms with things and 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 starting to to i use the term smile again starting to to find the the beauty and the the the, the gratitude really that she had this amazing person in her life and who would you say is the target audience? You know, I mean, it's obviously a very sensitive subject for a lot yeah. of children. Who would you want to buy this book and, and learn from it? So I w- I've I've kind of aimed it towards. It's a difficult question because I know I should have like a set target audience, but the thing is, I feel like different ages would get different messages from it. So I've read it to like, for example, our five-year-old. She's very matter-of-fact. She's very like this is what happened. This is kind of what the message is. And that's, that's it. You know, can we move over to Mr. Men type thing? Whereas I read it with our 10 year old and then we were discussing the different themes and the different um, messages behind the words and why I used caps in some places versus like why I had to, I said like she, she, you know, she, um, we spoke about, she listened to every single detail. I wrote that in caps and I asked her why. And then she said, because she's going on and on and on. So I think there's different kind of things that people get from, um, depending on the age, but I have aimed at from about three years old till about 10 years old, which is a very wide range, but I feel like it's, it's, I hope, I hope it would resonate with children, no matter who they've lost, no matter whether it's a even a human or an animal, really. I mean, you can, it's the same thing. Losing a family pet 
is the same feeling. It's awful. You know, I remember having it as a child. Like it's something, it's the same grief. Like as much as it doesn't seem like it is, it, it is. So I would love, that's why I didn't want to name the characters. I wanted it to be applicable to any form of grief, any form of loss, no matter how old you are. And I mean, even for me as an adult, it helped me. So I'd like to think that the parent reading it to the child will get something out of it too. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I'm keen to go into the how, like how you actually went about self-publishing a book. Okay. I'm keen to write a children's book one day myself, <laughs> and I'm sure lots of listeners would also like to. Um, so firstly, why did you decide to self-publish versus go to a publisher? So firstly, I've never published anything before. So that was kind of the main reason I wanted to kind of give it a try and see how it went see the process and learn from it. But also I feel like this is such a personal story that the worst thing that could have happened for me is either a publisher ripped it to shreds. <laughs> that would have been terrible because it was therapeutic for me. So that would have really set me back if that had happened. But also it's kind of, I feel like it's my story. It's my mom's story. It's our story. So I wanted to do it justice and I wanted to do it my way. And it's, it's very rare that I say things like that because I'm always open to learning and experiencing and, and learning from other people and taking the expertise. But I feel like as much as I'm not an expert by any means, I wanted to be involved in this process. I didn't want someone telling me you can't, you know, donate 50 books to somebody you feel would benefit or, you know, that type of thing, or, or this is the way it works. And, you know, I didn't want it to become a business. Basically. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be a passion project. I wanted full control. And um, yeah, but I mean, the self-publishing journey is interesting. It's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I haven't obviously gone the conventional publishing route, but I would imagine, you know, for the writer, it's a lot easier because a lot happens behind the scenes. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the, just the, the, the kind of process of the design and everything and looking at margins and slugs and rulers and all that, um, yeah, was, was quite a lot. <laughs> but I'm keen to go into detail yeah. because okay. obviously we have people who'd love to publish a book, even if okay. it's a business book. So what is the process from kind of writing the, the story for the, the kind of content first? So I assume you wrote it in your notebook or in your notes app on your phone or wherever you wrote mm. it. You had a moment of creativity. Mm. Walk me through the step-by-step -step process from when you have this piece of content, you've written it up in a document. What's the next step from having the text and getting it all the way to a published book? Take us through that process step-by-step. Okay. So yes, you're completely right. I just, I think I did it in Google Drive or something like that. Just, I think I woke up one morning and I just raced downstairs to do it. And I think that's kind of how, how these things happen. Um, so that, that was, was how I actually wrote the story. It was very quick. I think it took me about 10 minutes to kind of get the first draft out. People always say that the easy part is writing. <laughs> Everything else is the more challenging part. So what I did then is I went on to Fiverr actually. And I found myself an editor and I sent it to her. She was based in the US and she gave me her feedback. She, you know, the punctuation errors or whatever it was. And just, she kind of gave me um, her views on it. And, uh, you know, and, she, and thankfully she was quite um, very supportive and she really liked it and everything. But so that was the kind of the first step. So to get it edited, a lot of people miss that step, but I think it's absolutely vital. Because uh, there was a lot of things that I can't remember anymore, commas before quotation marks and things like that. So she really helped me with that. And then what I did was I went back onto Fiverr and I found myself an illustrator. And then there are, it's an absolute minefield going on Fiverr. But the nice thing about it is you, 
you can really discover somebody who you would never have come into contact with otherwise. So I chose an illustrator based in Pakistan and uh, I would kind of send her ideas of like what I would want and what the message is. And she, basically what she did was then she gave me like an idea of a page before I chose her. So you pay just to get one page and then you pay for the rest if you approve it. So I was able to see, you know, her ideas and kind of her mediums and how she, how I think mediums is the right artistic term, and how she um, would, how she saw these characters. And if I liked it, then then that was great. And then, and then after that, so what she would do is she would send me the actual pages. So she created everything in Procreate from scratch, and then would send it to me, and then I added in the text. And that's when I was working. This is the part that took a really, really long time because I'm not a designer. So, but I was, I was, I wanted to learn and I wanted to do it. And I downloaded InDesign and I got my designer friend um, on board who was invaluable to me. As I said, teaching me about margins and slugs and outlining text to embed it in the page. And um, so she's an awesome graphic designer. So, um, so that was really, really helpful. And so, yeah, I spend most of my time kind of positioning everything and deciding like what I would do is if I wanted the text to go down, then I'd say to her, oh, can you just move the bench a little bit lower? Or can you move the bench a little, or whatever it was. So then, and then she would send it back to me. And then once I was happy, obviously, then I just um, completed the, the transaction on Fiverr and everything was then left to me. And then she gave me the um, the front and the back page. And then I kind of added in my text. And now I'm at the stage now. So now I've uploaded it to um, Amazon Publishing, KDP. And I've actually also put it on Ingram Spark. And it's an ebook too. And now kind of the fun begins because now I need to market it. So this is the thing. You're self-publishing. No one's going to do it for you. So, and, you know, I, I might be numbers, you know, 7,000 if you look up grief books for kids on Amazon. So now I have to kind of work away, work out a way to kind of get up there. So all the marketing is up to me now. But in saying that, I wouldn't want to hire a company to do that for me. So I wouldn't necessarily want the publisher to do it because who can tell my story better than me? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't really want their involvement, really. I think if it is something, then maybe I would go that step you know, go that route at a later stage. But for now, this is such a personal project. It's, you know, it's deeply personal to me. So I really want to kind of see it through and see what can become of it. And just for those people who don't know what these things are, like you mentioned <laughs> KDP and Amazon. And uh, okay, uh, yeah, so can you explain like what are these different services and do they facilitate the printing of the books? Like how does that okay, actually work? Sorry. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, so KDP is the Amazon version of uh, um, print on demand. So what it means is you upload a PDF and then it goes onto Amazon as a PDF. And the same with Ingram Spark. It's the same also print on demand. And then what they do is if somebody buys the book on Amazon, then they will print it for that person who's buying it. Um, and the same thing with Ingram Spark. It's the same way it works. But the nice thing with um, with Amazon KDP is it goes in, on, um, onto Kindle for the ebook and it goes onto the Amazon websites internationally. And then with, with Ingram Spark is they distribute to like Kobo, I think, which is a different e-reader, a few different e-readers and they distribute to like Barnes and Noble and other bookstores um, also print on demand. Okay. Um, and did you have any help or resources kind of getting this thing going? Cause it's obviously, you know, <laughs> there's obviously a lot to learn here in this process. So I'm wondering, did you get any help with any communities you joined? 
any other authors you spoke to? Like, how did that how did that work? So yes, so Ingram Spark and KDP have their own communities on Facebook, which is really really helpful. Um, so I was on there. There's also just some self publishing communities. Um, that yeah, so I was able to ask questions and I was able to actually learn from other people's questions too. They also have nice things like where you can show your children's book on a Tuesday, um, that type of thing. And you can just like, you know, just join the community and support each other. Um, mm. there's also some awesome coloring books and things I might <laughs> want to buy for the girls um from there. But it's just it's really nice, I think generally with community. I mean, I don't need to sell you on the importance of community, but I think um, you know, it's really nice just to be around like-minded people who are in the same boat as you because it's very overwhelming to start on the self-publishing journey with um because Firstly, it can be very lonely because you don't have anyone to bounce any ideas off. So it's really nice to have the support from these people and to be able to learn from them and then say something like, oh, I also had that problem. I also had that error when I did something. But I, you know, but I figured it out by doing this or whatever. But also there's some amazing, amazing like um, walkthroughs on YouTube that was incredibly helpful. So I would literally have two screens and the one I would follow the steps and the other one I'd play the video and pause mm. and do whatever it was when uploading because, you know, you don't want to mess it up. So, yeah. and there were some warning, some like things I had to toggle or whatever that I had absolutely no idea what they meant. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, a designer friend. So and that was also <laughs> very helpful. Yeah. So you, if you made the whole process sound very easy, the streamline, oh, it's simple to do so anyone could do this. But um, what were some of the challenges you faced along the way? Like, what were some of the things that got you bogged down or things that were kind of difficult to do when you're getting your book published? I think just generally, you know, for me, it's kind of, as I've said, this is this is like all I'm focusing on for this amount of time. This is so personal to me. It's every, you know, I'm putting my heart and soul, blood, sweat and tears into this book. And then you've hired a designer it's a job so they just you know it's just a job for them so it's very different you kind of I would have loved to have like a partner so you know me sitting on the left and the illustrator on the right and working together but that's mm. not how self-publishing works and that's not I mean you know there are many publishers that obviously work like that but they're a lot bigger than me and their budgets are very different so and they have agents and things like that so so I think that was that was a massive challenge so like if I asked for something in a certain format or if I asked for a certain change and it took like ages to come or it came and it wasn't right or, you know, I also had some issues in the beginning with um, like it had to be uploaded in CMYK, which is a, a color format, I think it's called. Um, and um, it was sent to me in RGB and I didn't realize so I uploaded everything and then only I realized after that, you know, I'm not a designer. So I don't, I, I'm kind of, trusting that person to make my dream a reality um, and tell me what, you know, what the truth, tell me the truth, really. So I don't know that. So I learned to now check the formats and everything, but I didn't know that at first. So like I spent ages getting them all ready and then I realized they were RGB and RGB is not for print. RGB is for computer, for the screen, like the ebook. So I couldn't use them. So then I had to wait. And now basically, thankfully, she was really nice and did help me. But at the end of the day, her money had been had arrived at, I don't know how um, Fiverr works with escrow and everything, but basically the job was done. I had marked it complete. So I was very fortunate in that she did help me with that. But I think it's just that kind of concept of the fact that they're kind of working for you to them. It's a job to you. It's your blood, sweat and tears. So I think that that is a bit of a challenge, but 
I mean, it's, it was definitely a learning experience. I now know what I need to look for before approving also. Um, it's not just about what, you know, the tree looks like, what the bird looks like. It's about actually, you know, if it's flattened, if it's not, if you need to move it, if it's going to be behind the text, if it's in RGB or CMYK or, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> Pixelated or, you know. Uh, if you were to start over with your next book, um, I assume you would do things the same way or would you change things? Like, what would you do that's, that's different next time? Um, it's an interesting question because I feel like if I get, if this one really works out, then maybe I would take myself more seriously and kind of go the formal publishing route. I don't know. Uh, if let's say it, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not in this for the money. I don't need to be the next Julia Donaldson. That's not kind of what I'm, what I'm, I don't know if the U.S., People would know who she is, but um, but basically, I don't need to be be the next big big author. That's not what I've done. This that's not why I've done this. So um, I don't know if I would necessarily go the formal publishing route. I would like to investigate. I'd like to explore and see if it's even something that I would that would apply to me. But um, I I might go the same route, but. I would try and do things differently. Maybe I wouldn't use Fiverr, let's say, for the illustrator. Maybe I would find somebody local or kind of source that person myself or from one of these communities. There's always people recommending their services. So, and then maybe I would use the designer, or, uh, you know, use their editors or something like that. Um, but yeah, I would like to kind of, I, I, I don't really feel at this point I can make that decision 100% because it kind of depends w if anything comes from actually launching this mm. book basically. And if I can kind of take it to the next step by yeah. going the more formal route. Yeah. Um, and for those thinking of writing their first book, are there any sort of resources or places they can go to learn how to start? Oh, um, I mean, there's so much online. Um, so much. Uh, what, one of the things I did, I actually, on the BBC Maestro, there was a nice thing about writing a children's book. That was actually Julia Donaldson, um, <laughs> coincidentally. But as you can tell, I'm a fan. Um, so I, I went through that and she talks about absolutely everything, the rhythm, the power of three, you know, everything. So And some of them I use, some of them I've kind of parked for next time because they would apply more to a, a, a next story, which I've actually got an idea for, but I've kind of parking that for now I'm a little bit yeah I want to kind of give this one a good push but um I yeah I would say just like don't be afraid to ask so there are so many helpful people who who can inspire you and who can give you feedback and you can learn from so um anyone who wants to kind of go this this you know go through this I would say just do it because you mm. actually never know you never know what can come from it. You never know. You you might have an incredibly powerful story to tell that you didn't even know was in you. So, and yeah, and just ask for help, reach out to people, discuss things, brainstorm. I mean, that's why I went to these experts because I had no idea if my idea was actually worth anything. Mm -hmm. So I needed, um, I needed some, some acknowledgement that it wouldn't actually, and the worst thing for me would have been if it had harmed kids. That, I mean, that is, you know, if I'm trying to help kids, that is literally the worst thing that could have ever happened. Yeah. So I don't want anyone to have nightmares or anything like that, any yeah. kids. So I needed to know. So that's the thing. Reach out to these people because they 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 can help you. And 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 the, their support means a lot. Yeah. Um. So I'm keen to ask you a bit about AI, about AI because it's so prevalent right now. Oh um, it's a hot, uh, hot topic at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so I think you mentioned a story you told me last week about this author 
who had AI yeah. generate a children's book for him. Yeah. Could you share the story for listeners just so they kind of know the, the backstory before I follow up with some more questions? Oh, gosh, I feel like I should have researched this then. <laughs> he could have warned me. Um, <laughs> so basically, no, I saw something on one of these communities that people were laughing about this thing. So obviously, ChatGBT, I mean, you're an absolute super fan um, of ChatGBT. Me, less so. <laughs> I, I, I'm really anti it. But basically, what this author had done was he wanted to prove that in 72 hours, he could get a book published. And he created the whole story from using AI and the pictures, he, he, you know, he, he got from AI and he published this book. And it can be a very quick process if you do it that way. And in 72 hours, he had this book selling on Amazon. And he did really well until people caught on what had about what had happened. And suddenly these authors were complaining and, um, you know, that, 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 that their work was stolen. And Amazon took it down and suddenly he, you know, it was never more. So um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of, I don't want to be like an old woman against things that are advancing technology, but I hate most of what it stands for me personally. I, I know this is going to cause a domestic between the two of us, but you know, I'm just, I, I, I just think that as much as you can kind of get ideas and kind of enhance them in your own mm. way, I think it's a scary, scary reality. And and one of the reasons is because, like, for example, our daughter loves writing and is an amazing storyteller. And I think to myself, if the person next to her creates a story and just changes a few words and has done it with AI, and there she is, this powerful storyteller, who <laughs> can't get her words mm. out, you know, what about things like writer's block? Writer's block, there's a reason that people, <laughs> you know, that's not a bad thing. You know, people talk about writer's block a lot. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just, it, it is what it is. And then when you come out of it, you're, be you're better. You're better off, you know, for it. So the thing is, AI is just removing all these natural things that writers normally go through. So to me, it's just a little bit scary, but yeah. Yeah. I don't want to stand I think, the obviously, the whole thing about writer's block, I think it, it's, it solves writer's block. That's you what know, I'm saying, I don't think but it's natural. Problem, but, but it's, it's natural. It's, it might be know, natural, but this this can yeah. speed up the writing process, right? Yeah. So you 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 could have gone to ChatGPT yeah. and said, "I want to write a story about grief. Give yeah. me a few ideas of plots." Yeah, and then from there you can evolve the plot as your yeah. own creative project. But, but it wouldn't have been my story. And no, we're, 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 yeah. we're still giving you the idea to write something. It's not yeah. about copying verbatim what you get back. Yeah, but giving you ideas that you can then build upon. Okay, I think that's where value is. But if your first question to me was, "How did you come about finding the story?" How yeah. did you come about with this idea? And my answer to you was, oh, I went into ChatGBT <laughs> and and just, uh, you know, how interesting would this podcast have been? You know, here I have <laughs> a, good point. a personal a good story point. about something I truly felt, yeah. you know, wasn't coded into me. <laughs> You know? Yeah, you would have said uh, I had a story and I found uh, I found some ideas on ChatGPT. Exactly, <laughs> that helped me write it. truly yeah. personal, and and the the story has come from that real experience. Um, but yeah, I guess in a world where people can just generate stories using AI, where do you think writers or authors like yourself, uh, where would they be able to stand out in this kind of world? Because we are going in that direction. Mm. It's going to be harder for authors. There'll be more of this kind of content that's just spit out or spat out by this machine learning. So how can authors take what they've already produced or kind of take their natural stories that aren't tainted by AI and make them stand out amongst all the other generated sort of content? Oh, that's a difficult question. I, I just think per, the, being by being truly human. I think the thing is that the only thing that can make us different 
to AI and bots and everything and everything we talk about at StoryPrompt. The only thing that can truly make us different is being human. And mm. I think um, you have to tap into that. And, you know, where AI would, would describe my situation in one way, I can say it in a different way. And that's based on experience and that's based on real human emotions and real human mm. experience. And I think the more writers tap into that and talk about that and exaggerate that, I think that is kind of the only way that we can stand out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, more than that. I mean, I, I'm kind of a little bit scared for what the future holds <laughs> because of this. I really am. Yeah, I really am. You know, I think it's fun and everything too with ChatGPT. It's, you know, it's fun and everything, but I think it, it can be a little bit frightening. But I think we mm -hmm. really have to figure out ways to kind of beat the system by being more human. There was something I actually saw, I think, in the news yesterday. Someone's created this app that can determine whether the text is AI generated oh, or okay. human generated. So I think in the future we'll have these mach these machines that are analyzing the machine generated content okay. to that understand if it is a human written piece of content yeah. or if it's AI generated. So I think okay. I think that that's I think that'll be a need in the future. I think we'll see a lot of new startups coming out in, in that space. Yeah, like even being able to validate videos if you have an right. AI generated video or an AI generated image, we'll need these tools to help us determine what's real and what isn't. That's I think all. your point, your point about having the human story and the kind of the background behind what you've written is what makes humans stand out, yes. you know, amongst the bots. Or the and AI. that's when we can't ever be defeated because, yeah, yeah. yeah. we that's have the experience, whereas exactly. they don't, whereas they, they interpret all the human, all of human experience. Yeah. And they understand it in a way that the machine can. Yeah. They can't speak from firsthand experience. Exactly. It's yeah. kind of that classic kind of. Um, debate between a person who studies a textbook, like a doctor, let's say, who studies the textbook and knows the textbook versus the person that's on the ground speaking to patients, bedside manner, all those things that they learn True. Yeah. in that way. So it's kind of that the life experience versus just the information. Yeah. Cool. So before we go, uh, where can listeners find you online if they have questions about self-publishing, about writing a book, and how can they get hold of the book? Sure. So um, can I add links into the show notes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll add the Amazon um, links in the show notes. So obviously, as I mentioned, there's an ebook and um, a print book. And also, I'm I'm going to be launching a website called um, Soft Landing Media, and that's a website where I'm going to have all the books and a little bit of background and a bit of that life experience we spoke about, and a little bit about the human behind the book. Um, so I'm going to be launching that soon. And basically, I'm you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn um yeah i'm i'm always happy to discuss kind of this process or to help along anyone else's journey or obviously if you if anything in the story resonates and you want to chat about that too i'm very very open to that could you mention the name of the book again just for those who want to go search on amazon right now yeah sure thanks uh, a little piece inside me is missing awesome yeah cool thank you so much martin thanks for having me